Look at Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, 21 through 24. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came, came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Have you ever noticed the number of times in scripture that Jesus is followed and pressed by a large multitude of people. You know, it must have been so wearisome to his body. Maybe you remember in Mark chapter 3 verse 20, it says that the multitude had gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. And here in this passage, if you follow the, the chronological timeline, it seems that he's missing sleep as well. In Mark chapter 4, he's preaching to the multitudes, and, and it looks like to me from Scripture that, that it's most of the day that he's preaching to the people. In fact, the chapter starts out saying that, that the crowd was so pressing in upon him that he had to get into a boat and he, he, he was let out into the sea in this boat and from there he's preaching to the multitudes about the kingdom of God. He's using parables to help them understand what the kingdom of God was like. And so the day comes to an end. His preaching is finished. Verse 35 says that it's now evening time. And Jesus suggests to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so they do. The disciples join him in the boat. They start their journey across the sea. Mark Moore says that the Sea of Galilee is about five miles wide. And so it would have taken them just oh, a couple of hours, three hours, to get across the sea in good weather. But you remember, that's when the storm struck. And so they're out there in the middle of the sea. Yes, Jesus was getting a little bit of sleep in that boat. And then the storm struck. It was like a hurricane. And the disciples, they awaken him. They're, they're saying, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? And Jesus, you remember, he stands up. He hushes the wind and the waves. And they then make their way on to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, in reading uh, some of the sources about this story, uh, it was suggested that probably they reached the other side of the sea sometime around the hours between 9 p.m. and midnight. Do you remember what happened when they get to the other side uh, and they hit the seashore? If you guessed bedtime, you're wrong. I I'm sure their bodies were crying out for bedtime. But bedtime was a long ways off. The demon-possessed man from Gadara was right there to meet Jesus as he stepped out of the boat. We talked about that story last week. The man says to Jesus, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? And what we normally miss in this encounter is that it probably took place 
under the starlit sky. We're talking late into the, the nighttime hours, the early morning hours. The demons were cast out. The herd of swine went running off of the cliff into the sea. The, 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 they committed suicide right there in front of Jesus and the disciples. And the herdsmen who were watching over these pigs, they went running back into town. They're scared. They awaken the owners. And in in just a short while, the entire town is awakened to hear the story. And of course, by this time, it's the wee hours of the morning. I don't know what happened exactly, if they called a city commission meeting or what. But before long, they have convened with one another and they have decided that Jesus needs to leave and he needs to leave right now. And so they go out to Jesus, the whole band of them, the people from the community. And they see the man who has been demon-possessed. He is clothed and in his right mind, the text says. He's sitting down. They hear the testimony of the herdsmen. And together they tell Jesus, you have to leave right now. It doesn't matter that this man who has been a menace to their community is, is now in his right mind. He's freed from these demons. They're, all they can think about is the dollar bills that, that, that have been lost, the pigs that have been lost, and they are saying, Jesus, we want you to leave now. And so Jesus consents to their wishes. He doesn't stay where he's not wanted. He gets back into the boat along with the disciples and they sail back across the sea to the other side. And you know they are tired. They're ready for R&R. Probably they are hungry. They're ready for some downtime. But did you notice from the text that we read here at the beginning of the sermon what happens when they get to the other side of the sea? It says a great multitude gathered about him and he stayed by the seashore. But that's not all. A man named Jairus has worked his way through the crowd and Jairus has a very special request of Jesus. The text says that he falls down at Jesus' feet and he's pleading earnestly with Jesus that he come and help his daughter. He says, my my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. You can just sense the father's desperation. Luke's account adds that this little girl is 12 years old and she is his only daughter. In fact, you look at the original language, it implies that she is likely his only child. Not just his only daughter, but she is probably his only child and that only child is about to die. And so what's Jesus do with the request? He goes without hesitation. He is compassionate and he is available for people and their needs. I want you to, I want you to hear that. Because that's true for you too. Jesus is compassionate and he is available for people and their needs. It didn't matter that he was tired and, and, and hadn't slept all night. It didn't matter that he was hungry. Jairus had a need and so Jesus went with him to meet that need. And that should be encouraging to each of us. 
To know that his ears are open to us, his heart is compassionate towards us, whatever our need is, he cares about us. What's your need? Do you have a need of loneliness? Is that something that's really getting at you? Take that need to Jesus because he cares for you. Do you struggle with depression or anxiety, maybe anger? Take that need to Jesus. Maybe your need is a physical need. Maybe your need is a financial need or a relational need. Whatever your need is, take it to Jesus because he cares for you. Verse 24 says that as he went, the crowd was going with him and they were pressing in. On him. You take a look at Luke's account of this story, chapter 8, verse 42. It says the crowd almost crushed Jesus. In other words, they are giving him no space whatsoever to the point of almost hurting him and trampling upon him. I'm thinking what's going on. They know what has happened in the past and they don't want to miss what might happen next. What did happen next, though, was not what anyone was expecting. Let me read to you Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 28. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse... After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Have you ever thought about how this woman fought through the crowd that was pressing in on Jesus so that she could get even close to him enough that she could reach out and touch the hem of his garment, it shows you how determined she was and how desperate she was. Indeed, she was desperate. For 12 years, she had lived a life of misery and heartache. She had some kind of gynecological problem. Maybe it was a menstrual disorder or a uterine hemorrhage. Whatever it was, it was a nightmarish situation for her. The scripture says that she had been to every doctor around trying to find help. It says actually that she had endured much at the hands of many physicians. Now I'm just imagining in my mind... That there is a whole lot more to that statement than what you or I have any idea about. She endured much at the hands of many physicians. A couple of different sources that I looked at recited some of the different remedies that this woman would have been instructed to try. Now keep in mind... These remedies are actually recorded for us in documents that have been discovered by archaeologists from that area. For instance, and this is one of the remedies. 
what I was reading was there's actually 11 remedies that are recorded for us in what was called the Talmud. The Talmud was a commentary that the, that the scribes and the Pharisees would write their thoughts about the Old Testament law and their interpretation, and, and they would add to the law. That was the Talmud. And so in the Talmud, this is one of the remedies that a woman would, would be instructed to follow who had this kind of hemorrhaging problem. She was to dig through the dung of a white female donkey. Now, it, keep in mind, it had to be a white female donkey. It couldn't be a gray. It couldn't be a black. It had to be a white female donkey, she was to dig through the dung of that donkey and find a kernel of corn and pull it out and put it in a piece of linen and carry it with her. And if it was winter time, she needed to make sure that that piece of linen was cotton. I mean, that's the, the silliness. That's the, the superstition that she was dealing with from these doctors. And this is why I'm saying to you that, that this statement in Scripture that she endured much at the hands of many physicians, I think that is an understatement. Because she went from one doctor to the next trying to find a cure for her hemorrhaging problem and she had to pay good money for these remedies that are being given to her. And it was all just leaving her very disappointed and frustrated. And she, it's cost her every penny that she has. And still she has her problem, not to mention the physical weakness that she has to live with constantly and the embarrassment and the shame. She, she didn't have the modern, would you say, helps that women have today who are in their menstrual period. She, she, you, you can imagine how she had to deal with this problem. Just wrapping herself with rags, with linen, try, trying to, to help herself to, to stay uh, sanitary to the best that she could. And it was a losing battle for her. It was a nightmarish situation. And the worst part of it is that with this condition, she would have been considered unclean according to the Old Testament law. As long as she had any kind of hemorrhage, she had so many restrictions put upon her, she couldn't go to the temple or to the synagogue to worship God because she was unclean. She, she really was an outcast, much like the person with leprosy. Because anyone who would touch her, or anyone who would sit on a chair that she has sat upon, that person would become unclean. And once you were considered unclean, then you would have to go through a rigorous set of rituals to become clean again. And so what would people do with this woman? They would shun her. And so spiritually, socially, mentally, 
emotionally, this woman is at her rope's end. And she sees Jesus. And she knows about Jesus and what he has done. And, and so, what does she do? She fights through the crowd and she pushes and she shoves to get close to Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, if she gets close to him and can touch the hem of his garment, she will be healed. She is desperate. Let me read to you verse 29. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Can you imagine the shock that she must have have had as she actually felt the healing power of Jesus surge through her body? Think with me. The emotions that she must have felt in that instance. The hope. The joy. You talk about a hallelujah day. This was a hallelujah day that was beyond description. She was set free. She was healed. She was rescued from the lowest of lows. She was made clean. And before she hardly even had time to think about it in her mind, what has just happened? Jesus turns and he asks a question. Verse 30. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. (laughs) What a day. But you remember... There was another one in this crowd who was desperate. And that was Jairus. He's leading the pack. Heading towards his house where his little daughter is. And and now all of a sudden there's there's been this this sidetrack. This woman has come. and, And I'm sure for Jairus this seemed like an eternity. The time that Jesus has been stopped and dealing with the woman. And his his only child is about to die. And he's got to get Jesus back on track and, and heading towards his house. And you, you can picture this in your mind. He's, he's trying to get Jesus' attention and let's, let's hurry along. My daughter's about to die. And he turns and here they come. Fellows from his house. And he knows. He knows what they're coming for. He sees them before he hears them. And they're carrying the news that he fears and dreads the most. His little girl has died. Let me read to you verse 35 and 36. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? 
but Jesus. I want Don't miss those words right there, but Jesus. I think they're two of the most beautiful words in Scripture. The girl was dead, but Jesus. There's hope. There's always hope with Jesus. But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Let's read verses 37 and 38. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. Now, who are these people? And wailing. You know, obviously, they're, they're people from the community. They've was sick, and they've gathered there, and probably they're praying for her, and maybe there's some relatives there, and, and there's just there's a gathering of people. They're, they're in support of Jairus, and, and they're concerned about this little girl, and now she's died, and they're weeping and wailing, but remember too, from a few weeks ago, probably some of this crowd is, are those who are professional mourners. This was a part of the culture when someone would die. Professional mourners would show up and they would, they would weep and they would wail and they would have instruments and, and they would play. And the louder they mourned, this, this made, made people feel like this girl will be missed and she was loved. And, but Jesus had something to say to them. Verse 39, and entering in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha come, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and he said that something should be given her to eat. The hallelujah day just got better. Have you noticed in the text the number of times the word immediately shows up? Verse 29, immediately her flow of blood was dried up. Verse 42, and immediately the girl rose and began to walk. And immediately they were completely astounded. It could read like this. They were beside themselves with great amazement. They had good reason to be amazed. Their little girl had been dead and now... She was alive. I want to mention to you a few things that we can learn from these two stories. And the first thing is this. When we see Jesus for who he really is, we will be amazed and we will worship. How could they not be amazed at Jesus and worship him? As this little girl had been dead and now she was alive. Hear me, folks, say this. This, this is probably the most important thing that I'll say today. When we get a clear view of Jesus and who he is, we will worship. 
It's one of the big things that hit me at the convention that I was at a few weeks ago at Louisville. The theme of the whole week was victorious. It was based on the book of Revelation. Every sermon was based on the book of Revelation. It was Wednesday morning and the fellow was preaching from Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Do you remember what took place in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation? John, who wrote the book, was given the opportunity to get a view into heaven. He gets a glimpse of what's taking place around the throne. And what he sees is this. The angels are there. And all of the saints of old are there around the throne. And the 24 elders and the heavenly creatures, they are there. And they are on their face worshiping God. And they are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And John continues to write, he says this, And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And my point is simply this. When we get a clear view of God and of Jesus, our natural response is going to be worshiping Him. I mean really worshiping Him. And so my question to you is, why don't we worship like that right now? What is it that keeps us from having heaven's kind of worship right here on earth? Well, the answer to that is very, very clear, I think. The reason we don't have that kind of worship is because we are distracted. We are distracted by the world. We are distracted by our sin. We are distracted by the clock. We are distracted by our surroundings. We are distracted by our tiredness. We are distracted by our personal preferences. I mean, Dusty hit the nail on the head at the beginning of the service. Worship is a declaration. When we see God clearly, we will declare that which we see. But sometimes we get in the way. Our preferences get in the way. When we come here on a Sunday morning for worship, if we don't like the song that's being sung, if it's not our kind of music, then, then we might not worship. We might not participate. And what happens there is we let our personal preferences Get in the way. If we're not careful, it will become more about us than it is about Him. We have to grow beyond that. You and I, together, have to grow beyond that. We need to open our eyes to see Jesus more clearly. And when we see Him for who He is, we will worship Him. When we see Him in His holiness, we will fall to our knees and we will worship Him.
And when we see His love, and when we see His grace, and when we see His power, and when we see His faithfulness, and His truth, we will worship Him. We couldn't help but worship Him if we would see Him for who He is. And so... Let's lay aside the distractions. Let's let's not be focusing on all of this other junk. Because if we do, if we're focusing on all this other junk, then we're going to miss out on heaven's kind of worship, which would literally change our life right here and right now. So don't let this point slip past you. When you see Jesus for who he really is, you will be astounded at him and you will worship him. That's exactly what was taking place in that upper room where the little girl was raised from the dead. They were astounded at him. And they worshipped him. Let me get to you a second point. And these, these next two points are very brief. In both of these stories... You see people who are desperate to get to Jesus. My point is simply this. We need to be more desperate for Jesus. And Jairus, whose little girl is about to die, he's desperate to get to Jesus and, and to bring Jesus to, to his little girl. The woman with the flow of blood, even in her weakness, she is desperate to get to Jesus and somehow she does. Maybe we need to be more desperate for him than what we are. Would you agree with me? Sometimes we may seem to be more desperate for other things than Jesus. If that's the case, only we can turn that around. Only you can change that about yourself. Chase after Jesus. Stop at nothing short of having a vibrant and alive relationship with him. Number three, Jesus is looking for us to have faith in him. You remember what he said to the disciples as they were out there in the water, in that boat? The waters had been raging and now they're like glass and Jesus turns to them and says, why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And then to Jairus, he says, after the news had come that his little girl had died and his heart wrenched and Jesus looks to him and says, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And to the woman with the flow of blood, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Jesus is looking for us to have faith in him. And the question is, will we have that kind of faith? Now, keep keep in mind, if he has the power to calm the storm, and if he has the power... To help a woman who has an issue of blood and she has gone to doctors for 12 years and not been able to find help. If Jesus can help her and if he can raise a 12-year-old girl from the dead, 
I mean, your problem and my problem, he can help, help us, whatever the problem is. It's not too big for him. He's just looking to see if there will be a little bit of faith inside of us. Let's pray together. Father, help us to have that faith. And thank you, Jesus, that you care about us and that you are able. If there's anyone here today needing Jesus in their life, I pray for them. Move them to have just a little bit of faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name.